0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Following the ISIS terror attack on Ataturk, God, that was awful. Forty-two dead, more than 230 injured at the airport in Istanbul and Turkey. Just just terrible. Awful. Uh, another uh, attack in, uh, in Dhaka, Bangladesh. A restaurant, as you've been hearing, the past twenty-four hours, twenty hostages killed, many of them were Italians. What do you do to bring ISIS down completely? What do you do to what do you do to take on the terror threat? What I mean, it's 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 not a mere metaphorical issue any longer, for some people it might have been. And should should we in this business stop providing free advertising to terror organizations? by not broadcasting details like the one at Ataturk of the suicide killer being shot by a Turkish security officer, and then the camera shows the killer reaching for whatever he had to trigger off his his suicide vest. just We don't need to show that. We don't need to provide free advertising to ISIS. Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day is the former commander of Canada's counterterrorism unit, JTF-2, are considered to be the top three in the world of special forces units. And uh, we've had the privilege of speaking with Colonel Day in the past. Colonel Day, thank you very much for taking the, the time to uh, talk to us today. What is the, the Ataturk airport attack and the Dhaka-Bangladesh attack? What do they suggest, read, the reach and the strength of ISIS? I mean, we have Russian-speaking terrorists, a coordinated attack on what I've been hearing over and over, um in a, in a quite reasonably protected airport in a country which has increasingly Turkey increasingly has appears to have been irritating ISIS. And then as we're trying to come to grips with what we saw in Turkey in the last 24 hours is Bangladesh, what is what does that speak to? Where are we as far as this, the terror threat is concerned?
1: Well, uh, good uh, good day, Roy, and, uh, happy Canada day to all your. Happy, or, Canada sir, happy, happy Canada day to a uh, long weekend to all your listeners. I think um, what, what we're seeing, again, is a spread of this virulent uh, ideology. And when you have this ideology that is, that is set against our Western values, they will seek those, what's known as soft targets, those targets that uh, are easy to strike and, more importantly, provide a, a spectacular event and shock and awe, if you will, from, a, from an insurgent perspective. So you're right off the top. When our national media organizations help share that message, all we're doing in some cases is is enabling and empowering this, the spread of this this ideology.
0: Uh, since you and I last spoke, there have been numerous terror attacks globally. And most heavily reported on was the uh, dual assaults on on the same day in Brussels, the downing of the Egypt EgyptAir and Russian airliners. And I saw a lot of speculation. On reporting When when for, that first happens, all the talking heads appear in panels, and they're all speculating, and I'm saying that's not doing anybody good. There have been numerous attacks in Israel, the abductions and eventually the beheadings of kidnapped victims in the Philippines, including two Canadians, John Ridsdale and Robert Hall, for whom it was decided ransom would not be paid. The two mass murders in the United States, at Farouk and Tashfin Malik in San Bernardino, California, and Omar Martin at the Polsky Nightclub in Orlando. Colonel Day... There are various groups and terror organizations internationally which are active and taking credit for their actions, some publicly pledging their allegiance to ISIS. And then there are the individuals like Martín and Orlando and the San Bernardino killers, who also pledge their allegiance to ISIS. How do you assess, let me come back, I guess, to my first question in a way, how do you assess the, the, this mix of terror organizations as well as individuals involved in deadly attacks? What are we dealing with?
1: Well, we're, we're dealing with these violent, utterly... Uh, utterly violent non-state actors is what the term actually is. A non-state actor is, is someone or something that does not ha- not afforded the, the, the definition of state. So they've, they've got access now here in the 21st century to, um, to explosives, to firepower. And when you start looking at a chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear kind of threat, these violent non-state actors have now the, the ability to bring harm and death to civilian populations and they can control violence and this used to be the remit of of nations and now we're going to kind of going back to the future if you will This, this fourth generation of warfare as it's often called now in these days is we've got these super empowered violent non-state actors who individually can create carnage on extremely large level not, not a good not a good situation for national security forces to try and deal with individuals that are empowered with these methods of destruction.
0: So what what has to be done? I want to talk to you about the media side of things. Come back to that in a second. But what has to be done as far as national governments or international governments or international efforts are concerned to beat them to the punch? You know, you talk about weapons of mass destruction and nuclear capability. That has a lot of people concerned. Um, what has to be done? Is there an effective way, I've asked you this before, That was before these attacks took place. Is there an effective way to neutralize as much as possible the threat or set them back on their heels?
1: Well, I I think the first thing we need to do is ensure our national leadership keeps it all in context and that we don't overreact. And so not to downplay the individual tragedies of these events, but if we were to have an Ataturk type or a Paris type attack once a week in Canada it would barely break the top 10 reasons that people pass and, and die in Canada on a yearly basis. So it's absolutely important to keep these uh, these strikes in context and not overreact. First of all, that does not mean that we should not be doing things to, like you said, mitigate, neutralize the adversaries. And quite frankly, the best thing we can ever do is to educate people and allow them to live in a free market economy like we have in, in Canada. And in a lot of places in the world, they simply don't have those freedoms.
0: What do you do with the guns that we have? What do you do with, with the troops that we have? What do you do with the highly trained, specialized forces like JTF2? How, how, how do you employ them, engage them, give them the the, the the freedom to go and do what they need to do?
1: Well, well, now we're into the realm of something that's known as low-intensity conflict or this fourth-generation warfare I alluded to earlier. This is exactly what we need to be doing. We need to empower our law enforcement and intelligence agencies to get in front of these folks that are quite honestly out of step with the rest of society and then allow the law enforcement in a Canadian context to get in there and apprehend and and make sure we we mitigate or neutralize an attack before it happens and internationally allow special operations units, and those international state actors to get up there and preempt, uh, detect, deter, preempt uh, attacks before they happen. That is PhD-level warfare, as we've talked about in the past. It's low-intensity conflict. It's about getting in front of, staying in front of those adversaries so we can take apart the network before the network can energize and and, and strike us. And, and quite honestly, we are very good at that. We are very good at it when 99.9% of the attacks are defeated before they materialize. Unfortunately, like we see in Bangladesh or in Turkey, you cannot play defense 100% of the time and win. You got to get on the offense and right now from a western perspective, in my opinion, we are not on the offense enough.
0: Now, the director of the CIA, John Brennan told the Senate Intelligence Committee that ISIS global reach has not been thwarted, as he would like to see it, and he pointed to the Inst- Istanbul airport attack as a warning to Americans, and the FBI director said not long ago up to 1,000 individuals in the United States are under active investigation. In fact, Omar Martin, the Orlando killer, had been on the U.S. terror watch list. But, you know, that politicians, political leaders seem to be caught up a lot of the time, and not wanting to say or do things that could hurt somebody's feelings. I think we're way beyond that concern now, are we not? We're talking about protecting our societies.
1: We are, and it's it's interesting now because now we're in a real dilemma, and we'll use the Orlando attack as a great example of the dilemma that law enforcement faces. Uh, In his his instance, yes, he was on a terror watch list, but he hadn't actually broken the law. Now, we're being a purist, don't get me wrong, it's a purist point of view. So where is that line between preemptive arrest for detainment for people thinking about doing anything which may be heinous and actually doing them, which is clearly a crime? We start getting into a gray zone that is very, very difficult to to, um, to manage, and I don't have a solution for it. I don't pretend to have a solution for it. It's hard. It is very, very
0: hard. I, I sometimes feel, Colonel day left we're being manipulated by the terror organizations. Um, it just... It just seems like we're being manipulated and we play along, and this brings me to what media's responsibility are, uh, media being a plural word. Where do we cross the line between necessary reporting, I come back to I guess what we started with, and assisting terror groups by our reporting and then creating a horror and light show? Well,
1: uh, again, it's, it's, uh, I think where we, where we cross that line is when we get into the news entertainment business, and like you had said off the top, we, we need to know the facts, we need to know what happens, because that's how you have an informed population, and quite frankly, informed populations and democracies make sure it's good, pr- provide good governance. So we need, to pr- we need to put the facts out there, but as you had mentioned off the top, showing people being shot or blown up or reaching for devices is truly enabling the spread of that ideology and, and enabling the spread of unnecessary fear among the population who may not understand exactly what it is that they're looking at. So uh, that, that's my, uh, my my perspective on it.
0: Well, sometimes I, I feel like, and I don't want to come down too hard on people in my industry, but sometimes I feel like the people who are leading the discussion don't know what they're talking about.
1: I would uh, agree. In some cases, it is the... Uh, Ill-informed leading the uninformed to uh, make some incorrect assumptions and, and absolutely creating a bigger issue than what what truly exists, which is why I always come back to context. I think from a national security perspective, our biggest threats today are are the the resurgence of this kind of uh, cold war with Russia, as we're saying. It's not necessarily terrorism. Terrorism is not an existential threat, but these nation-state on nation-state ones can certainly be a problem. But I realize I'm, I'm digressing here from your point on the, the media, but it would be nice to have some informed dialogue of what we're saying and, and less of the spectacular um, news entertainment angles that we quite often see.
0: Yeah. Um, where does JTF2, where does the National Counterterrorism Force, fit into the overall picture in protecting Canada and interceding with terrorist plans and terrorist acts because you pointed out to us in our first conversation uh, JTF2 has responsibilities both domestic and internationally which sets them apart from many of their international counterparts.
1: Uh, absolutely Roy, JTF2 Joint Task Force 2 as part of Canadian Special Operations Command is somewhat unique within most of the tier one the, the best organizations around the globe being we have both or the, the unit has the national i.e. domestic mandate and an international mandate so unlike our u.s counterparts who for the most part don't operate on domestic u.s soil because they have uh fbi hostage rescue team to deal with domestic issues joint task force two is built to support local or federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies so when there is an event that is beyond the uh, police force of jurisdiction's ability to resolve that is when joint task force two would be brought in so it would support In a domestic case, public safety. In an international situation, under the new lexicon, Global Affairs Canada, it would support Global Affairs Canada in the resolution of an incident.
0: Colonel Day, one of the questions that is asked time and again is, why don't we just go and crush them? And I was watching uh, Fox News uh, about a week or so ago, and they had a retired four-star American general on who was talking about the unwillingness to do exactly that, to go in, and crush them by that. And by them, he meant ISIS. Um, he says we're not taking the fight to them with determination. And I guess he's talking about the conventional warfare approach with tanks and bombers and everything that we know about warfare. Is he on the mark or is he sh- shooting sideways?
1: Well, I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but I have a pretty good idea who it is you're speaking of. And, and you're right. You've got conventional warfare and you've got unconventional warfare. And when we're starting to deal with violent non-state actors, we're in the remit of low-intensity conflict, and that's where your special operations forces are optimized to operate within. When you put big army maneuver units around someone else's country, eventually you're probably going to create an insurgency. So like we see in post-2003 Iraq and Syria, as the national apparatus starts to fall apart, these insurgent disasters flood into the vacuum and now they can manipulate the population and they, they need to be dealt with. So I am not a proponent of putting large conventional forces into the Middle East because it is not going to resolve the problem over the long term. I am a proponent of small, discrete, surgical special operations forces in there dealing with that insurgent threat and killing where necessary, ideally capturing those leaders and those insurgents.
0: Colonel Day, it's always an honor to speak with you. Thank you for joining us on this Canada Day weekend, and thank you for everything you've done and do for this country of ours.
1: Thank you, Roy. Have a great weekend.
0: All the best. Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of JTF2, Canada's National Counterterrorism Unit, on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. When we come back, we're going to be speaking about pipelines and a decision made by the federal court, two to one. When does it become best two out of three? Uh, Mark Schultz will be with us, president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. And Mr. Schultz wrote an op-ed piece for the Calgary Herald in which he compares pipeline building to nation building and the uh, national railways of the 1800s. Please stay with us.